Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor with a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll talk about womanhood, motherhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And don't they let me when I fall, all right guys thank you for joining me for another episode of the push through podcast and i am so happy to introduce my next guest which is lisa baker welcome lisa thank you for having me (laughs) thank you for being here now before we hop into motherhood i know that you have a pretty cool background like I you know I'm from Georgia from the south I've always been in Georgia I've never moved and lived anywhere else but you've lived in the UK you've traveled a lot and um just have a really cool interesting childhood can you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah sure yeah I definitely don't have a normal childhood (laughs) my peers and friends um I was born and raised in London England Mm -hmm. um and then moved to the States as a teenager um when I was just just shy of 18 when my family decided to move here so uh what made my childhood unique is I have a dad who was a celebrity who was a singer a professional artist and in the group heatwave from the 70s and 80s and um so that made my childhood unique because we traveled as a family a lot my dad was obviously full-time musician but and singer but my mum and him traveled together a lot which meant we also did mm. until we were in school age and uh yeah we probably didn't have as structured a kid lifestyle as other kids did (laughs) because my mum was always home my dad was uh, you know singer all over the place so uh i had a very fun childhood Mm -hmm. a very well-traveled childhood but um probably a little unconventional in some areas Mm -hmm. lots of babysitters um (laughs) shaka khan watched us once oh my god you never (laughs) told me that that's pretty cool (laughs) My parents were friends. Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> random stuff like that, you know, you know, hang out with, you know, the Ohio players or whoever. I don't know. Like nice. that it was normal for me growing up to be around those musicians. I didn't know who they were at the time mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, but then growing up as a teenager and a young adult, um, it just allowed me to have a lot of great experiences that I'm really grateful for. My parents are, were amazing. Um, my dad passed away just a few years ago, but they were just an incredible couple, an incredible example. And I had a fun childhood, but it was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know how some girls growing up, they've kind of had this idea of, being very maternal and when they have a child and they have these baby dolls and some don't some women just never really think about motherhood and kind of stumbled into it what was it like for you was it something that you always knew that you wanted or was it something that kind of came later for you now, it was definitely something I always knew I wanted. I have a big family. I'm the oldest of four, but both my parents have a ton of siblings. My mom is one of eight. My dad wow. is one of five. Um, I have tons of cousins. So family, big families, lots of kids. It, that was always what I was surrounded by. So I don't know that I like gave it deep thought, mm-hmm. but I think there was always a subconscious expectation. Mm. One day, I'm going to be a mom. 
I don't know what that looks like. I didn't, I wasn't one of those super planned people who were like, I want to be married at this age and I want to have kids at this age. (laughs) Which is good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that wasn't like how I thought about it, but it was more like, you know what? This is, this is the trajectory of your life. You're going to be a mum one day. You're going to be married. You're going to, and how that happens or what that looks like, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I definitely always saw myself being a mum at some stage in mm. some, however this looked, whether it was adopted kids, my kids, how many kids, it was uh, up in the air. Okay. Well, who were the maternal influences for you growing up? I mean, obviously my mum, uh, big time, um, but she had a lot of mum friends <laughs> and um, my grandparents, my nan on my mum's side and my grandma on my dad's side, they all parented very differently. I will mm. say like, my dad's upbringing, he's from Dayton, Ohio. Mm. My mom's from Liverpool, England. They had drastically different upbringings. My dad was like old school. My grandma, get a switch from outside. Yeah. I'm going to beat you with it. You know, she was also a woman who started at 17, mm. married with kids and had five boys before she was even 25. Wow. And her <laughs> outlook, her disciplinarian style was starkly different she was and she had five boys men to raise you know yeah. with my uh, grandfather and so she was very militant i say borderline abusive mm. these days mm-hmm. <laughs> when mm-hmm. she talks about them in their childhood i'm like grandma like yeah you, can't, you know um but she loved her boys and it was just you know i think especially back then right we're talking in the 50s 60s 70s trying to make sure that you raise five black men mm-hmm. to, you know great in life yeah. I'm sure that was not easy so her style was more militant less nurturing mm-hmm. whereas on my mum's side with eight siblings and there's seven girls and one boy wow <laughs> <laughs> and the boy is number two so she's got one older sister and six younger sisters wow. and uh, they were much more calm loving nurturing no one was spanked ever Mm. you know the cat would babysit like (laughs) (laughs) my mom would tell stories that they'd all be lined up on the couch and the cat would swipe their feet if they tried to get down (laughs) and my nan would run to the shop and come back and they'd all still be sitting on the couch because they were afraid of the cat like (laughs) very different you know um just very different styles and so as a result my parents were also different they were very much on the same page with all four of us but their styles were different my dad was quick to be like you need a whooping and my mum would that would not be her first response Mm -hmm. because of how they were raised um so yeah my mum was a great influence my grandparents um and then my mum had some great friends that were um amazing mothers too that I got to look up to and and then as I got older I had friends that became mothers way before me Uh, yeah Uh, that I could look to and really admire their style and I think we can both agree like parenting has changed so much from when we were kids to how it is now it's even my mom you know and other people probably like 50 plus 60 plus will be like this was never around when I was raising kids this Mm -hmm. was you know so we have a really different experience there too so I kind of pull from you know family influence and then also my friends who over the last 10 20 years have been having kids prior to me 
Yeah, that's true. And like to your point, like a couple of episodes ago, we had um, a writer on the show named Ara. She wrote this book called Of Mothers and Daughters. And she was writing about her mother's experience of how she was as a mom and how similar to your paternal grandmother, how she was very militant. And in thinking about it and talking about it, it was like in older generations of mothers, they didn't have self-care. They didn't meditate. They didn't go out in the garden and have this time alone. And they oftentimes, yeah, they didn't have like spouses that would really like co-parent with them to give them breaks. And now motherhood looks different for us. Like we require differently. We take care of ourselves. We put ourselves first so that we can show up and be well-grounded moms to our children <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah it's, it's a very big difference i mean life for women over the past 50 years has changed yes. right just the, the female experience on the planet especially in the u.s and the uk western culture is so different mm-hmm. to 40 years ago even right you know so i think that has altered how we parent, how we mother, and how we marry, how everything. So um, that's, I think, been really cool. Like even now as a mum with my mum, she's still my biggest resource. She's mm. still who I lean on. She's mm-hmm. still who I go, go to. She keeps my son during the day while I work. And yet still there's fresh conversation because I'm learning things that she didn't know. Yeah. You know, and saying, oh, well, I read this. Or someone talked to me about this and she'll be like, well, I didn't do that when you were a kid. We Mm -hmm. did this. And, you know, and having those kind of fresh perspective conversations with her now because life is different. My mum didn't work when she had little ones at home. Mm. She only worked when everyone was in school. Everyone. So as long as there was an infant in the house or a child not of school age, my mum didn't go to work. Mm. So now, you know, I'm a working mum. And so, you know, there's right. that dynamics different. Um, you know, I read at a very early age because my mom was home. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so there's, and, and I want that for my kids, but it's like, wow, how do you give that same energy that she had the liberty to do back then that I don't necessarily have the liberty to do now? Yeah. And, uh, and learning those kind of nuances and trying to adapt it to 2021 parenting right (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah there's so many differences but uh yeah yes now to to start about your motherhood journey i know that um you had hudson and now you're pregnant with willow um and they'll be like fairly close in age which is super cool um in evolution or, or time has changed for sure like Years ago, women were getting pregnant 18. My mom had her first child at 18. And um, then it was kind of like people got married at 23, had children immediately after. And now oftentimes people are just like waiting, especially women with careers and um, jobs. I didn't get pregnant with my first until 31, 32. And then I got pregnant with my second at 35, I think. Yeah, 35. How was it for you waiting later to get pregnant? And was that a difficult decision, an excited decision? Or or what was that experience like for you? Um, You know, I was definitely one of those people who just assumed, because of how life goes, that I would be married and have kids sometime in my late 20s. Just that was just like the arbitrary that's probably when it happens because 
back when I was 17, 18, that was generally the trajectory. People finished college and then they got married, like you said, yeah. had kids somewhere in that mid to late 20s. Um, I was in no state of mind to do that in my 20s. <laughs> like, I'm so glad God spared me from those kind of decisions. <laughs> very young. I was not an I wasn't like a 19 year old going on 35. Mm -hmm. I was 19 and <laughs> I was 20 and I was 21. Like, you know, very much in those ages um, emotionally, mm -hmm. which, I, which I, I appreciate because that was the time to be that. Um, so as I got into my 30s, that's probably the first time I started to really consider my age. Mm. In my 20s, didn't care. Like I wasn't even looking for that. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was mature enough for that stage in life. Once I got to be about 32, 33, and I didn't have, let's see, what, 32, 33, was I dating? I think I was, but I wasn't married. And I was, and that was important for me to be married first. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was never even an option in my mind that I would be a mother prior to being a, a wife. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to think about like, oh, I should probably start like really seriously thinking about who I want to marry mm -hmm. <laughs> and being in relationships like that. And then that kept getting pushed. And then I was single for most of the beginning of my 30s. And I met my husband at 36. Mm. We didn't get married for four more years. Mm. So, um, well, three, yeah, four more years. So that was my focus is more on the relationship, yeah. but in the back of my mind was definitely that tick, 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 tick. Yeah. But I felt great. I felt great. I didn't feel old. I wasn't ailing in any way. I didn't feel like I was, um, I never felt the biological pressure. Like Good. I'm not going to be able to conceive. My periods were very regular, you know, all of this stuff. So I, um, and, and I feel like that's a whole nother topic, fertility and women in the yeah. 20th century, because I have friends in their twenties who couldn't conceive. So I don't even think it's an age thing anymore. Mm. Personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's totally environmental, another topic for another day, mm -hmm. but I felt fine. So I wasn't fearful of the act of conceiving okay. but I was concerned with what does my life look like as I get older do I want to still be carrying children at a later age mm. whether I can or not was irrelevant do I want that yeah so um so yeah met my husband at 36 we married at when I was 40 and we were immediately pregnant about three months later mm. with Hudson um, so right now we're getting ready to celebrate our two year anniversary and we're one and a half kids. In. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the end. And mostly because, so that's what I would say was the biggest change. It affected how many kids I had. Mm. I had met Ray at 30 and married at 34, 33, or however long that process took. Um, I probably would want three. Mm. And pregnancy has been super easy for me. It has yeah. not been that challenging. I would probably go for three. But at 42, yeah. maybe number two, it's out of the question. Not because I can't, but because I just don't want to. Right. Like I don't want to be still nursing and doing the newborn stuff at 45. So I don't question anyone else who wants to do that because I don't think there should be an age limit on it for you but for me that's what I reevaluated. that's right. what I was like oh well, where do I want to be do I you know so I think two kids is is great and we're very blessed very lucky that we were able to conceive with no issues mm -hmm. and pregnancy has been very easy and the biggest you know I'm a geriatric mother 
I hate that name, but you know they're rebranding it. Now they're calling it 35 plus. They're like, they're getting rid of geriatric moms now because that just does not sound appealing. Insulting. Yeah, it is. Geriatric. Why do do I think a geriatric mom? Um, But that label's there, right? Like you're, you're, you're a high risk pregnancy because you're a later term mother and what I learned that was very interesting when I fell pregnant with um, Hudson at 40, another friend of mine who also had had kids later informed me that her doctor told her that a lot of the studies around fertility after 35 or after 30, which, which kind of came to this conclusion of this geriatric mother, were based on Caucasian women. Mm. No shame. Well, most statistics... In maternity are based off of Caucasian women. There isn't a lot of data that's on black mothers. No. Mm-hmm. And her doctor explained to her that this data was highly driven by Caucasian women whose fertility did statistically mm-hmm. diminish after mm-hmm. 35. However, they found that ethnic women, not just black, Asian women, Indian women, their fertility did not fall off the charts that quickly at 35. Mm. They were able to very healthily conceive later into life. Um, But because of the world we live in, they don't want to single out our Caucasian sisters and say, you guys are geriatric at 35 and these women are geriatric at 45. Mm. They don't want to do. So it's just everyone's geriatric. But that's not necessarily true. And my pregnancies haven't been any more easy or difficult than my friends 10, 20 years younger than me. So um, I don't subscribe to that. So I think as long as you feel healthy and your reproductive system is working fine, do you, you know, and and I don't, you know, it's kind of now it's to the point where other people bring it to my attention. Oh my gosh, you're 42 and you're pregnant. You know, like, wow, how is that? And then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I am 42 Uh, and I'm pregnant, you know, but I don't feel like I'm in this extra space. Yeah. You know, experiencing things any different. Well, I love how you're saying that because it's, it's like you're, you are grounding yourself in the facts of what your body is telling you versus taking on what society may think or what other people may put on you. Because in the work that I do, I work with several women and ones that are waiting to get married and they're over 35. There's this panic and this anxiety of, will this happen for me? You know, am I at risk of having miscarriages or or am I at risk of not being able to conceive how many eggs do I still have left to you know work with and I get that you know you are mindful but at the same time also just being in tune with what biologically do you know about your body and what has your body told you and what are your medical records and what's your medical history to give you any type of indication that something may be wrong and I like how you didn't focus so much on what the the stats they were putting out there but more so on just you and in the type of mom you want it to be and and what you want to carry at this particular age absolutely and i i mean like i said i have friends 10 20 years my junior Mm -hmm. that more challenges conceiving than me and i had to look at that holistically it is a very individual journey yeah there can be stats galore it doesn't matter we're all individuals right and i could be somebody who just you know, genetically was designed to have trouble conceiving that would have nothing to do with my age. I could be 
17, 25, 45, and these issues would have existed. Mm-hmm. Or it can be someone that, you know, you see them, look at the Duggars, like people who just be having 21 kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why? What is going on? She's genetically predisposed to that like mm. I really believe like for whatever reason that pregnancy multiple pregnancies it comes to her mm-hmm. because that's her individual body mm. and not everybody would even be able to have that many kids mm. some people's body would naturally just say no mm-hmm. after like four or five mm-hmm. they'd be like oh that it's not sticking anymore mm-hmm. so yeah I had to look at it how do I feel what do I want you know, yeah. what does this look like for me and Ray's future? What is our planning? And age was just not even considered until I thought about how many. Right. That, that was the only time that I was like, yeah, I kind of wanted it. There's a point in life when I want to be able to go on the cruise with my husband and not <laughs> we're still like, a one-year-old at home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I kind of want to get past that stage mm-hmm. and you know and we want to have our roaring well I'll be 50 he's younger than me uh, but when I'm in my 50s I want to be living my best life yeah. with my kids that are all the way school age yes yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean Janet Jackson more power to her she's 50 she had a baby right. you know yeah. good for her it's not that. and I don't judge it I think that's great she had an amazing career right she did what she wanted to do right and had her baby when she wanted to have it yeah and I don't see anything wrong with that yeah. as long as she feels like she's fit and ready to run after a toddler good for her I want to be done with that part <laughs> right <laughs> now um to talk a little bit about what labor and delivery looked like for you with Hudson um I know parts of the story but I don't think I know or remember I know that you had a c-section but I can't remember if it was planned or not but I remember you sharing about just the difficulties with the recovery afterwards and just like how hard that was. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. My C-section was 110% not planned. Like Mm. it was anti-planned actually. Like that was the opposite of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) In every way, uh, I did not want a C-section. Me and my doctor had talked about um, how that was a very last resort. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously, I'm not a fool. I want my baby to get out and be healthy. So if a C-section it is, a C-section it is. But I wanted to exhaust every option. I really wanted to deliver vaginally Mm -hmm. Um, just because I knew that the recovery was very different from, uh, you know, from what I was told by all my friends and family. Um, That being said, there was a caveat that I had that kind of, not to say ruined, but like threw a wrench in that plan. Mm -hmm. I also did not want to be induced. Mm. And the reason I didn't want to be induced was because your chances of C-section once you're induced go up like 40%. Mm. And I had like four friends who had babies within the year that I had Hudson. And all of them who were induced had C-sections. Mm. So this was in my mind. Yeah. And I was like, I do not want to be induced. I do not want to be induced. Um, and I knew that the whole just process was just going to be rough. Well, I was induced. um like my plan out the window you need to be able to roll with that I will say um but I ran out of amniotic fluid at 38 weeks Mm. so I went in for a regular scheduled checkup you know doing the little heart thing and then she comes does ultrasound and the doctor's like looking at me and she looks at the screen and she's like she's like hmm and I'm like hmm and she's like well we're having a baby today and I said 
what do you mean? <laughs> and she said, we're going to have a baby today. And I, I said, yeah, but what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, today we're delivering your baby. And I said, I am hearing you. Like, I hear the words you're saying, but mm -hmm. how? Because I'm not in labor. Like, and she said, yeah, but you're going to be because wow. this baby doesn't have any more amniotic fluid. So he has to come out. Mm. I'm going to go call the hospital and you, you can go home, take a bath and I'll meet you down there. Wow. Uh, and I'm now, like, does that mean that your water broke or did, was there just a leak in the back or he had outgrown or what, what did that mean? That apparently, as it was explained <laughs> to me, your uterus has, or your placenta, it has a lifespan. Oh. And, and it ended by <laughs> the amniotic fluid. <laughs> was over so there was no water to break oh. he was just in there like oh. so she's like yeah i gotta look for these pockets of liquid and you have none so um you know go home have a good meal take a bath and uh, i'll give you a call when you can come back to the hospital meet me at the hospital so i'm like calling ray like apparently we're having a baby so i so i said to her i said well what i mean is like how and she goes oh well we're gonna induce you and she and I looked at her and she knew I didn't want to be induced. Mm. So we went, at, it was a Friday at 11 p.m. is when we finally got the call to go in. And they started, gave me a little pill and, you know, started the things, my contractions. And I was one centimeter dilated at that doctor's appointment. Mm. So I wasn't dilated. Um, they start the process. Um, I was kind of rolling with it. The contractions were tough, but I also suffered with dysmenorrhea growing up. So I had like really intense periods. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, not to say that contractions aren't horrible. They are, but I could kind of, I could take it. It yeah. was all right. And so they're coming. Then they did like some other thing. They're shoving stuff up there. I mean, they're trying everything. So at this point, they decide they've got to actually put fluid up because there isn't any. Oh, wow. They go to break the bag and then she's like, I could feel the baby's head. Wow. <laughs> so they start putting fluid in and it's like going in and coming out at the same time. It was just a lot going on. And fast forward Sunday, we still haven't had a baby. Mm. I have not dilated past five centimeters. They've started Pitocin and all the things I knew was going to happen mm. because because <laughs> I wasn't my body really wasn't ready to go into labor and so this induction was not really making Hudson want to come out you know mm. so sure enough at eight o'clock the doctor came in the room on Sunday night and said we've tried everything they'd done the balloon they did all the things um we're gonna have to do a c-section it's too it's too long he has to come out. Mm. So um, I swallowed that. We did the C-section. It wasn't as bad as I thought. It was a strange experience. I don't know if you... Did you have any, any C-sections? You had all vaginal. All vaginal, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird laying on that operating table and you're like in a legit OR, but you're wide awake and they're like cutting you open from the middle. It was very weird. I couldn't let my brain associate because I it was too... I yeah. had to like break away yeah. and just... Yeah not even imagine what they were doing behind the screen because yeah. the thought of my insides being open and I'm just here like, hey, right. like having conversations with was people. Was Ray able to see, so he like watched it or did he just stay on like on your side? Stayed on my side. Okay. He didn't want to see. He said when they took the baby out and then they like went with him to the other side of the room, uh, he kind of like caught a glimpse of the 
horribleness <laughs> and like quickly turned away but like you know they take everything out it's gross so um but I had a friend who's a nurse at the hospital and she was there in the room oh, with nice. me so after yeah she was great she wasn't even working she came in on her day off just to be in the OR oh, with awesome. us and uh so when Ray went with the baby she came and sat and held my hand while they stitched me up and and kind of like talked me through it and was like oh it looks really good it's gonna be a really small scar and I was like mm. thank you so um that was that experience and then being in the hospital it was you know you just had major abdominal surgery it was a little sore it was when I got home and I swelled up like a puffer fish mm. the amount of fluid my body retained I my legs were like twice the size I mean it was horrendous it was just so much swelling and they were like yeah that's normal you know you're going to be swollen um the water's you know you've had a lot of fluids and it's got to go somewhere and it will it will go away well it took like four weeks wow and during that time um I mean you have a newborn yeah. and most of the reason I had such extensive swelling was because for two and a half days they were pumping fluid into mm. my vagina you know and in through, it was just like an overkill of fluids yeah. that I was getting and so um that swelling was a little bit I think more intense than a standard c-section yeah um all because of that induction which yeah. is why in hindsight I would have just been like well let's just do a c-section today like yeah. just skip all of that so yeah your insides are swollen your organs are trying to settle back into the place that they go right. Um, so my bladder would be obstructed. I wouldn't be able to tell if it was full. Mm. And it was, it was really rough. I mean, it was definitely a bonding time for my husband and I, because I mean, you're just so vulnerable. Yeah. There was like, I couldn't do for myself mm -hmm. things. Um, but we got through it and, you know, in about four weeks I was up and I was fine. You know, probably after about a week or two, I was walking around. I was just still experiencing a lot of swelling in my feet and lower legs. Mm. Um, and that was really frustrating, mm -hmm. just being that swollen. Um, and that was the worst of it. And then it was like, once the swelling went, I was feeling great. By the time mm. I went to my six-week checkup, I felt much more like myself. Right. The swelling had gone down. Yeah. <laughs> I was feeling like a woman again. Um, but this time around, we're doing a scheduled C-section. Uh, I was going to ask you that, if you were going to do a V-back or a scheduled one. Okay. Uh, it was so traumatic to me. Yeah. <laughs> like just was, not, not to go um, yeah, my doctor, she offered, she said, you know, the way that they did your C-section, you are able to d deliver vaginally mm -hmm. if you would like to. Um, and I said, I would not like to. <laughs> As a matter of fact, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not like to. Um, can we just go ahead and and she said absolutely. That would have been my suggestion, um, oh. just because we don't know if you're going to have the same experience. You may run out of amniotic fluid at 38 weeks again. That might just be the length of time that you carry, you know, um, which is perfectly safe. He was completely healthy and fine. So yeah. she, uh, so yeah, we'll be scheduling that. Now <laughs> so, let me ask you this, because in some of the work that I do with some women who have the plan, the plan alters and it you know, it becomes something just completely different and it can be traumatic, um, which, you know, with trauma, it varies for different people. What's traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you and vice versa. Um, but some people have a hard time coming to terms with things not going as planned. 
how were you able to talk yourself into it? Being that like from day one, you didn't want to be induced. And secondly, <laughs> you did not want to see section <laughs> And both things happen. Like, how did you walk yourself into it? And I know like, of course, like we all just want mom and baby to just be alive. That's the ultimate goal. But still, the story that you wanted was different. How did you come to terms with that? I think you have to come to terms with that prior to this to it starting. Mm. I knew that this was the preferred way, but I was totally open to the reality that it might not go that way. And that started the day I left the doctor's office at 38 weeks being told, you're having a baby today. Mm. We're already off plan, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we've already diverted because baby's coming sooner than expected. So I think... Um, those expectations, that calmness has to happen prior to. If you're pregnant, it's fine to have a plan. It's fine to have preferences. But list them in your mind as preferences, not plans. Mm. Like this is the preference. I would prefer to go in, deliver vaginally. I was hoping I wouldn't even need an epidural because mm. I wanted to feel everything. I wanted to be able to be in the position that I wanted to be in. I didn't want to be like on my back. I wanted – that was in my mind what a beautiful – birthing experience would be but I understood that that's not life life is full of uncertainties Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to our medical care if you're not able to switch and roll with the punches you're kind of setting yourself up for anxiety Mm. I was not happy when she came to tell me we've tried everything you're not dilating we're going to go ahead and do a c-section but I was not panicking Mm. I was like okay you know what? We knew that this was a possibility. Right. It wasn't like she came in and said, we've decided we're going to deliver the baby through your nostrils. Are you ready? We're going to push the baby out through your nose. Like she didn't say something that like I couldn't have possibly fathomed or prepared for. She told me something that was a truth that I knew was always on the table just because that's how it goes. The yeah. baby's coming out one of two ways (laughs) (laughs) so I think if you keep that in mind yeah I want to have you know I have friends that say I want to have my baby at home okay but what if that doesn't work out right what if what if you have a medical emergency and you have to go to the hospital is it going to negate the experience is it going to make this baby's coming into the world like totally tainted now Mm -hmm. I have a friend who wants to have another baby just because she didn't like the way her birthing story oh. was that, you know, and I'm like, oh. but your baby's here and healthy and happy. And your story is your story. Yeah. Would I love to have been having this conversation with you talking about how all the methods of breathing techniques that I got through my contractions, and I pushed that baby out. And yeah, that would be a great story, but that's just not the reality. Mm-hmm. It was different. And that's still my story with my child of how I brought you into this world. And I don't think you, I think we get caught up in you know is c-section the easy way out or is c-section more challenging there's all these preconceived notions versus c-section versus vaginally are you a stronger woman if you didn't get Mm. an epidural versus if you got an epidural right put all of that like yeah yeah you're bringing babies into the world i don't care if it came out your armpit like you (laughs) carried it (laughs) and then the baby came out you know so i just for me it was the expectation level like i had a preference but i knew i just had to keep in the back of my mind and my mom even when i was there i think the saturday she was like you do know you're probably gonna have a c-section right Mm. (laughs) 
And I'm like, no, we're here trying. <laughs> and my mum was like, I know, but just go ahead and keep it in the back of your mind. Because <laughs> it's been 24 case. hours. Right. You know, so I think that would be my biggest advice to anyone going into the birthing process with a quote unquote plan. Make your plan flexible to reality so that for your own sanity, if no one else's, just for your own. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I want it to be, but I completely am surrendered to the fact that it just might be a different story. Right, right. My last question is, I remembered you had described, and forgive me if I'm not remembering adequately. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I do remember, but I remember you telling me that there was a point where after you had Hudson and you were recovering from the C-section and you were trying to get to the bathroom because your bladder was full and you could not even like get there and you just kind of like sat on the floor and And you were just so grateful for your husband because he just was like such a huge support to you during this time what advice would you give to a woman that's recovering and her body is just having a really hard time and she's trying to you know bond with this baby and and become the mom that she wanted to but also recognizing the physical restrictions that she has and not being able to just like move the way that she wants to move and needing to depend on this other person to kind of do everything what would you kind of say to like help her know that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel oh yeah uh for one that was definitely the worst night (laughs) of the entire recovery Mm. i just woke up with like this overwhelming urge to pee and when i got out the bed i couldn't walk like that's how badly i needed to pee that each step was shooting like immense pain Mm. so i made it to the end of the bed and i'm sobbing I'm sobbing because I'm trying to figure out, is it quicker to get to my master bedroom toilet or to the toilet that's in one of the other bedrooms out the door because of the space? And I'm Ray is asleep. Mm. So he happened to wake up and I'm at the edge of the bed just weeping mm. because I know that I can't make it. Mm. And he just goes and gets a trash can. <laughs> and he brings it and I'm using the trash can to shuffle my feet like a walker mm. and Ray's like Lisa just just go and I'm like no that's disgusting and I'm just like falling my eyes out and he leaves the room I don't know what he went to do but I realize in that moment I'm gonna have to go yeah. in the trash can like I'm not I'm not making it and so by the time he came back I'm sitting there and I'm like, I went. Like, oh, it was, I was mortified. He's like, I just, he's, your, he's my husband, but like, we don't even married less than a year. And I was just mortified. Like yeah. I was, I was just, just everything. Like I was so upset with myself, with everything. It was just overwhelming. Um, and I remember he said, it's okay, Lisa, it's fine. And he was just so calm. He took that disgusting trash can and he like <laughs> took it away. And I went and got in the shower and then he was like, and I was like, I'm so embarrassed. And he was like, this is what marriage is. Oh. He was like, it's, it's fine, babe. Like you just had a baby. <laughs> it's fine. I'm like, oh my it. God. But it taught me so much in that moment about surrender and about vulnerability. Yeah. And it taught 
taught me a lot about my marriage, really. Ultimately, mm. I, I gained a lot of respect for him in that moment because he didn't make me feel any worse than I was already feeling. Mm. Instead, he just kind of reassured that this is just part of the process. I'm here for you. It, I'm not going to make a big deal. He never spoke about it again. Like, just, just let it go. And I'm like, oh, nice. but, um, but, you know, it was a period of time that what I took from all of that healing, all of that bleh, yeah. the situation of the bloating, all of the swelling, it was a period in time. Mm -hmm. It had a beginning and it had an end. By time, like I said, by the time I reached my six week appointment, to check up on the scar and see my OB, that seemed like many moons ago. And it had just been maybe three weeks earlier. Mm. So, um, you know, and now it's a distant memory, you know? So it's a period of time and just know that your body has to do what it has to do to heal. Uh, you have to be gentle with yourself, patient with yourself. People, whether it's a spouse or a friend, or a family member that wants to step in and help you even in those embarrassing moments where you've got your big panties on or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever's going on. If somebody's willing to be there in that moment of vulnerability and take on the gross, the embarrassing and, and not make a big deal out of it, that is a blessing. Yeah. Take that help. Don't be proud. Don't yeah. like, don't be proud because your baby needs you to heal. Yes and didn't need me to try to like push through the pain and yeah. you know like I wasn't alone and um and I think that's something that we take for granted sometimes when we do have a family member or a spouse that's willing to help because not everybody has that right so I would say for anyone struggling with that or thinking about that recovery time uh be gentle with yourself it's mm. okay like I had to I was trying to do too much too soon, mm. if I'm completely honest. You know, the doctor said, don't go up and down the stairs. I was going up and down the stairs. Mm. You know, so it's like, um, I, I learned that it's okay to be patient and gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Allow people to help you. You are vulnerable. Whether you like it or not, your condition has made you vulnerable. You, you need it, um, you know. So that, that would be my biggest advice. <laughs> That's what I learned anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lisa. Like this was a very valuable conversation. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been really fun. <laughs> I really appreciate you even wanting my input. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks for chatting with us for another episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, September 18th is our Push Through Mama Summit. From 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., we're talking about reclaiming your freedom as a mother, self-image, combating anxiety, and we have a phenomenal keynote speaker. So if you haven't already, go get your tickets before we sell out over at pushthroughmom.com. If you aren't already following us on Instagram, we're at pushthroughmom, and share this episode, rate, review, send it to all your friends. All right, guys, until next time, keep pushing.